What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. The Jordan brand just crossed $5 billion in annual sales for Nike for the first time ever. So today's episode breaks down how it happened and the man that made it all possible, Tinker Hatfield. I hope you enjoy this episode, but before we get into it, let's quickly run through today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7, so it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering my listeners 15% off their Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is Element. I've been focusing on my hydration levels for the past few months, and I've learned that chugging water isn't the most important thing, but replenishing electrolytes is. When you sweat, the primary electrolyte loss is sodium. Electrolytes facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the conduction of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. But since drinking Element, I feel more energized and experience fewer headaches and muscle cramps. It's simple. I just add it to my water every morning, and I'm ready to go. No sugar, no junk. There's a reason why hundreds of pro athletes and teams across the NBA and NFL are using it also. That's because it works. And now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packets free with any Element order. So go get yours at drinkelement.com slash Joe. This deal is only available through my link. So make sure you go to drink, D-R-I-N-K, Element, L-M-N-T, dot com slash Joe. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, everyone, what's up? As the intro mentioned, this is going to be a solo podcast. I wrote a Twitter thread the other night that was very popular, and I wanted to break it down a little bit further and a little more in depth here on the podcast. So for those that don't know, the Jordan brand underneath Nike just crossed $5 billion in annual revenue for the first time in history. So Nike just had their 2022 earnings call, and they said the Jordan brand had $5.1 billion in sales last year, first time in history that they've ever done that. And for those that don't know, the Jordan brand has grown tremendously over the last few years. It's actually one of the things that Nike and their executive team have talked a lot about over the last few years, just the fact that Jordan brand was still very young and naive relative to kind of how much diversification they felt that they could do, right? So if you think about Jordan brand, it was really just basketball, right? And now they've started to really expand into other things. They've aggressively pushed golf. They're doing a bunch of other things, women's clothing, shoes, et cetera. They've started to push much more heavily soccer. They're doing college partnerships, sponsorships, all of that stuff. So they've started to really aggressively expand the brand and start to monetize that much better. And it's gone from one, two, $3 billion in annual sales. Now we're over five. So it's grown tremendously. And what that means is Michael Jordan has earned somewhere north of $150 million in royalties from Nike last year alone, right? One year. And for context on that, I believe Michael Jordan made 
$94 million throughout his entire career in the NBA. So a lot of money, but there's already 150 other people in the NBA in history that have earned more than Michael Jordan in his career. But now he is by far and away the highest paid athlete in the world relative to kind of the success that he's built on his IP and his brand upon retirement. And that's fascinating for a few different reasons. It's obviously a big brand. He's done an incredible job. It's probably, in my mind, one of, if not the best sports partnership between an athlete and a brand in history, not even just from a financial perspective, but what they've done through culture and everything else. So huge, huge, huge deal. I think most people understand the success of it. But the thing I want to talk about is what went into that success and how close it was to actually not happening. So I think most of you probably know, a lot of people have heard the story by now, that Nike wasn't actually Michael Jordan's first pick when he came out of the University of North Carolina. He graduated and he actually wanted to wear Adidas at first. He wore Converse at the UNC. And the reason, literally the sole reason behind that was because Dean Smith was getting paid, the coach, about $10,000 a year for his players to wear the brand. So kind of like a semi-endorsement deal, his players would wear the brand, he got paid by Converse. But when he left college and was going to the NBA, he wanted to wear Adidas. He literally just loved the shoe, he loved the brand, he loved the logo, he loved it all. But they were going through a leadership change and actually never ended up even making him an offer. So that really left it down to Converse, what he wore in college, and Nike. Converse at the time, for people who are more new in this kind of space or understanding, they had all the big names. They had Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Dr. J, several others, but all the big time athletes, basketball player wise. So they flew Michael Jordan down to their company headquarters, offered him a financial package of about $100,000 a year, which was very similar essentially to all of those other athletes that I just named. He basically asked them, yeah, but like, what are you guys going to do for me? And they apparently told him, we're going to treat you just like all the other superstars. And they thought that was a compliment, right? Because you have this guy coming in who's a rookie, had never played a minute of NBA basketball, and you're telling him, we're going to treat you the same as Larry Bird, Dr. J, Magic Johnson, et cetera. Most people would probably take that as a compliment, but Michael Jordan clearly did not. So deal was dead. Nike obviously wanted to meet, was interested, tried to call up the agent, tried to get Michael Jordan on a plane, et cetera. He still wanted Adidas. Eventually his agent, David Fox, said, dude, it's not going to happen. So they eventually go meet with Nike. The famous story, right, is that MJ's mom actually made him get on the plane and go down there and meet with Nike. But they were in a really tough spot financially. The brand's growth was stalling. They just reported their first quarterly loss ever. And they saw Michael Jordan as this kind of lifeline, right? Nike was into taking these big bets. They really loved sponsoring athletes and they wanted the biggest name athletes, the biggest personalities, people that could really advance their brand. So they offered him $500,000 a year for five years. So five times the amount that Converse was offering. And that also included the opportunity potentially at some point to expand with signature products, whether that's shoes, clothing, other merchandise, whatever it is. So it was worth about $2.5 million in total, which was roughly equivalent to what he was actually earning in the NBA as a player. And it was a financial commitment that was four to five times larger than any other players in the NBA were getting. And the important part to remember here is right that he has not even played an NBA game at this point. So huge deal. He ends up accepting it. Long story short, they have a tremendous success with the Air Jordan 1. They thought it was going to do $3 million in sales in the first year. It did over $125 million in year one. So off to the races, big partnership. They've blown it out. Now you hear $5 billion. So you fast forward all these years, you know, four decades, and it's like, oh, wow, this is crazy. They had such a great partnership. It's really built well throughout the years. Sounds great. But the part that people don't realize is there's a man that was behind a lot of this that not only kept it together, 
but deserves a lot of credit for the designs, for the success of the brand. And that guy's name is Tinker Hatfield. A lot of you guys might know him. Some of you might not have any clue who he is. So I'll kind of give an overview and then we'll dive into some more details of the story of how this actually happened. The story starts in 1981. Tinker Hatfield was an Oregon athlete under the legendary coach, Bill Bowerman. Most of you probably know Bill as Oregon's track and field coach there. He graduated, talking about Tinker Hatfield, with a degree in architecture and went to work at Nike, got a job there. And his main responsibility at first was designing office buildings and retail stores. So he did that for the first four years. But as Nike continued to struggle, right, in this time when they started to go after athletes, they hadn't even signed Jordan at this point yet. But Reebok was actually selling more shoes than them. We talked about Converse as one of their main competitors. Adidas was bigger. All the companies, right, they were really eating Nike's lunch. Meanwhile, Nike was firing employees and saw their stock drop 50%. So really tough time financially. People that were in and around that time explained it as like, no one really knew it was going to happen. Nike was kind of this upstart that blew up really quickly, but then was having some difficulties, firing employees, all of that. Uncertainty around the future. So Nike wanted to shake things up. Phil Knight held a 24-hour design competition internally at Nike to jumpstart the energy, to get some ideas, and to see who was talented. The winner of that competition was Tinker Hatfield, who was, again, an architect at the time, but joined the competition after begging to participate. So he wins. Fast forward two more years. Now him as a designer on the team. He gets his first solo project. That was the Nike Air Max 1. He had traveled a lot, and I forget the name of the exact building right now, but there's a building in Paris. If you Google it, you can find it pretty easily, I'm pretty sure, that he was inspired by. So he took the Nike Air Max 1, and it was the first shoe where you had the bubble sole. If you guys know about the bubble sole, right, where you could see the light through, you could see the other side. It looks like you could bounce a little higher and so forth. And he said he did that because the building in Paris inspired him, and he wanted to expose the shoe's guts. Nike execs reportedly thought it went way too far at the time. They didn't think people were going to enjoy it. They decided to release it anyways, and sales exploded. And this is where it gets interesting, because we're going to enter two new people into the story that we haven't talked about yet. The two individuals are Rob Strasser and Peter Moore. Rob was a vice president of Nike at the time, and Peter Moore was the lead designer of the Nike Air Jordan 1 and Air Jordan 2. So the first two shoes for Michael Jordan, he was the lead designer on those shoes. They worked closely together, obviously, throughout that time period. Those two gentlemen, Strasser and Moore, abruptly left Nike in 1987 to start their own footwear business. And when I say footwear business, really what it was was a consulting company. And they had a bunch of other brands. I think they had TaylorMade and a few others that they were consulting at the time. And then as an offshoot of that brand, their company, the parent company was called Sports Incorporated. And as an offshoot of that company, they established Van Grack, which was a sportswear and footwear company where they partnered with Washington, D.C. retailer, Mark Van Grack. So they created this company called Van Grack, which was a subsidiary of Sports Incorporated. And basically, what they were trying to do was poach Michael Jordan to come to their new sportswear company. So that was one problem. But the second problem was that when they left in 1987, Peter Moore took all of his designs for the Air Jordan 3 with him, literally walked out the door with all of the designs. And the problem was that Nike was scheduled to present the Air Jordan 3 to Michael Jordan in five weeks when this happened. So they call up Ticker Hatfield and they say, hey man, jump on a plane, go talk to Michael Jordan and figure out what he wants. We got to design an entirely new shoe within five weeks. 
So he jumps on the plane, he goes talk to Michael. And basically the long story short is he sat down with him, asked him a million different questions. What do you want? What do you like? What do you kind of see yourself wearing? What do you think will sell all this stuff? And he claims that Michael was super impressed, obviously, because no one had ever worked with him in that capacity. Today, maybe it's a little more popular, but back then it was just kind of like, hey, here's the shoe. What do you think? Like, we're making it. And so they really let Michael kind of give some input on that stuff. Tinker returned back to Oregon in Nike headquarters with instructions. MJ was very clear. He wanted a mid-top shoe with exotic print leather. So four weeks later, they are going to go meet with Michael Jordan. Nike CEO Phil Knight and Tinker Hatfield flew down to California to present the Air Jordan 3 to Michael Jordan. But they ran into another issue. Michael Jordan was four hours late to the meeting because he was playing golf, quite literally, with former Nike employees Rob Strasher and Peter Moore. Not only was he playing golf with them, though, they offered him a full apparel and sneaker deal for their new company, Van Grack. So Michael Jordan eventually shows up. They learn about this, and he says, show me what you got. And at this point, the rumor is, right, he was very disinterested. He thought he was going to leave. These guys were obviously offering him a lot of money. They were offering him the opportunity to build up this whole collection and everything else. So Phil Knight calls in Tinker Hatfield to present the design, and Despite literally being told, no, don't do this previously, Tinker designed the Air Jordan 3 with the Jumpman logo instead of the Nike swoosh. So it was literally the first shoe that had that Jumpman logo where, you know, Michael Jordan's holding the ball above his head about a dunk, legs are spread, etc. On the tongue of the shoe and the sides had that exotic print that Michael Jordan asked about. So Jordan was like, oh shit, <laughs> right? Like that's pretty cool. I don't know if they had necessarily talked about that previously, but it was the first shoe and Nike told him not to do it, did it anyways. And then secondly, again, unbeknownst to Phil Knight, Phil Knight didn't know reportedly, Tinker Hatfield also presented Michael Jordan with a apparel design centered around the iconic Jumpman logo. So the whole idea was that they wanted him to build a brand rather than just collecting a royalty check or a 500K per year check. So long story short, Michael Jordan loved it agreed to stay, and the rest kind of took care of itself. Nike launched the campaign, if some of you remember, It's Gotta Be the Shoes with Spike Lee, which was a tremendous success. And then MJ wore those Air Jordan 3s with the print and the logo during his iconic free throw line dunk. You guys, if anyone's ever seen the photo, you know what I'm talking about. He's got the ball above his head, side view, his head is at the rim. He's wearing the Air Jordan 3s. Sales, again, went crazy. And, you know, we fast forward four decades now, the partnership is obviously extremely, extremely, extremely massive. Tinker Hatfield was a huge part of that. And he's got this one funny line that I've read previously. And he basically says, I've designed hundreds of shoes. He's very much an icon in the footwear industry today, especially for sneakerheads and other people like that. And he said to this day, his favorite memory is when Phil Knight says that he saved Nike because he says that quite often, actually. Again, if you fast forward and you look at the overall brand, Today, the Jordan brand brings in over $5 billion in annual revenue for Nike, and it's widely considered the best partnership in sports history. And personally, Michael Jordan has made over $1 billion from Nike. I think it's up to like 1.3 by now. And he collects over $150 million in annual royalties. That's three and a half or four times more than any other NBA player today. Active NBA players, LeBron James, Stephen Curry, Kevin Durant, other people like that. Michael Jordan makes four times more or more than that, than those players just off of royalties from the Jumpman. So incredible, incredible, incredible deal for Michael Jordan from a royalty perspective. But for just as much as he has benefited from this partnership, 
Nike has flourished even more. If you look at Nike's stock price from 1984 to 1988, so a four-year kind of zoom out, it was down 50% during that time period, right? Just wasn't performing well. Sales were not doing well. The company was firing employees like I talked about earlier. And then if you literally stop in 1988 when the shoe came out and you look at 1988 to 2020 or 2022, it's up 42,000%, <laughs> right? So just think about that for a second. It was down 50% for a four-year period before the shoe released. After the shoe, it's up 42,000%. And that doesn't mean that it was all Michael Jordan. That doesn't mean that it was all the Jordan brand. That doesn't mean that it was the Air Jordan 3 and Ticker Hatfield specific design that made the company this successful. Maybe they would have been just as successful without it. But it's a pretty big business now doing $5 billion a year in annual revenue. And it's hard to argue uh, that they would have been this successful without it, right? And the good news is that Tinker Hatfield made sure that we never had to find out. So I think he probably deserves a lot more credit for this than he might get, not only for his designs, he probably gets a lot of credit for that stuff. He's an incredible designer. He's a legend in the industry, but even just keeping Nike together, right? And I think that was a huge key. And the reason why I enjoyed this story so much was because it's just like one of those cool sports business stories that you don't really hear as much as you probably should, but it's had a huge, 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 huge outcome on an industry on the world, really, right? Nike is one of the biggest sports players in the world today from a manufacturing standpoint, from a apparel standpoint, from a footwear standpoint, from a you know a gear standpoint, all of that. So really incredible, incredible deal and one of my favorites. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. We'll be back next week. I'll be doing more episodes, breaking down some great sports business stories and so forth, but we'll talk then. All right, everyone, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.